Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. On a weekly basis, me, Lewis Goldberg, and Ann Donahoe, my little jar of joy, talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. Today, you are listening to episode 39, and Anne is joined by co-producer Nick Opich, who filled in for me while I was on vacation flitting away in the wilds of Telluride, Colorado. Nick and Anne will be chatting today with Leah Heiss. Leah is the chief experience officer at Forefront, a leading retail brand development company that is on the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. And full disclosure, Forefront is a KCSA client. Now, Forefront is not Leah's first rodeo in this industry. Oh, no, no, no. If you think you know her, you probably do because she was formerly the CEO of Women Grow, the largest professional networking group in the cannabis industry. And Leah's interest in the cannabis industry goes all the way back to 2015 when she founded Chesapeake Integrated Health Institute, where she received a pre-approval license from the state of Maryland to dispense medical cannabis. Prior to that, she served as the enforcement attorney dun, 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 with NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So don't sit back, lean forward. And now, on to the conversation. So welcome to the Green Rush, Leah. Let's jump right in. Before uh, we talk about your current role, let's go back in time a bit, if you don't mind. Um, you had a whole career before you got into cannabis. Can you give our listeners kind of a roadmap of your cannabis career and how you got to be here? Sure. Before cannabis or um after Let's do cannabis. before cannabis. I'm okay. always interested in the, the, you know, the quote unquote real job into the fun job. How did that happen? That is true. So I graduated from law school in 94 with the intention of um, working for the commercial fisheries industry. And, and that's what I did from 94 until about 2001. I uh, worked for the United States Coast Guard for a while. And then I also worked for uh, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, and I was essentially a prosecutor who prosecuted people for killing, harming, and harassing marine mammals and violating commercial fisheries regulations. Um, my territory was the entire United States, uh, anywhere from three miles to 200 miles out all over the entire coast. Um, and I did a lot of regulatory drafting and meeting with different fishery management councils and figuring out resolutions and doing a lot of compliance type stuff in addition to prosecuting. 2001, I was diagnosed with chronic pancreatitis and I was told that I would never be able to work again and that I probably would not survive five years and that I needed what? to go home to my 18 month old children and my husband and just kind of exist until the time came where my pancreas no longer worked and that would be the end. Um, and it was, it was a very difficult time for me because at the time that I was diagnosed, I was interviewing to be the chief counsel for the ocean subcommittee, uh, um, which is a part of the Senate finance committee, uh, under John McCain. And I was looking forward to running a federal agency or being a federal judge or something like that. That was kind of my plan. I just didn't really see myself as staying home. Um, and when that was taken away, I refocused and focused on my kids and lived that way for a number of years. And then I was still alive. So I got really bored 
and I, um, <laughs> you got, you got bored I with being imagine. alive. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I was going in and out of the hospital and sick a lot, but I wanted something else to do. So I started a network marketing company under a brand called Arbon and quickly built a team of more than 200 people selling over a million dollars of product. Um, in fact, it took me about nine months to get that team done um, and prepared. And then I did that part-time for about four or five years until I got really sick again and then just couldn't do it and just thought I was never going to be able to work again. And then in 2013, my pancreas doctor found out that my pancreas was damaged because of a birth defect that they could fix surgically. Um, and because I had been on methadone since 2001, there's no cure for pancreatitis. It's all opiate treatment. That's it. And starvation. Um, he suggested that I explore cannabis to get really? off. Mm-hmm. In what, and what state was this? Maryland. And it was not legal yet. So, so it had, won't use his name or her yeah. name. <laughs> it was. I mean, he is a doc. He's a Johns Hopkins doc, and he was from. He is was from another country. I guess maybe there were a little bit more advanced uh, holistically uh, in terms of treatments and things. So he suggested that I look at cannabis and that I look at it both for pain control and for reduction of the inflammation inside of my pancreas. And I thought he was a crazy person because I was never a big cannabis user, um, totally bought into that whole war on drugs thing. Um, but I started to do a ton of research and it was intriguing to me, not only what it could do for my own condition, how it could get me off opiates, um, but also just what it could do for other people from everything from just general stress relief instead of having a glass of wine or in addition to having a glass of wine to, you know, outright curing potential cancers and things like that, or at least anecdotally uh, curing some of those cancers. So I decided that I was going to have a major surgery, which uh, was a Kindle Whipple, um, with my pancreas where they chopped it up and did a bunch of stuff with my small intestines. And then I was going to go back to work. And that's what I did. I had the surgery. I started using cannabis as my uh, primary means of medication. And in the four years that I've been on cannabis, I have only been hospitalized with pancreatitis once. Wow. 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 And And are you off of all of the other Opiates, I mean, they, they perform an important function too. It's just, you know, is it something that you're able to get yourself totally off of? They do. And that's um, our hope. You know, we are in the weaning process that I will be able to be completely off of that those opiates and this horrendous side effects that they have. And there's no known um, conditions as to what's going to happen to my body after being on these opiates for 15, 16 years. So I really would like to be off of them. And what's the method that you're using? Like what, what are you using now from a cannabis perspective? Is it pure CBD or using tinctures or what's your delivery mechanism? So I use, um, high CBD 20 to one, um, is the ratio that I prefer CBD to THC. And I consume it, um, through sublingual tablets underneath my tongue. 
So is that how you would uh, recommend like people that are first getting into cannabis to, to try it out as like kind of a, a medication, go with the tablet stuff? Or would you suggest maybe uh, some other kind of method or to, to consum- consume it? I think it depends on what your experience level is with cannabis. I think if you have smoked it in the past and that's an appropriate delivery mechanism for you, that that, that smoking is perfectly appropriate or vaping. Uh, for me, if smoking um, will immediately inflame my pancreas, regardless of what it is, cigarettes or cannabis, um, and sativas are also particularly digested, uh, uh, and that engaging to my digestive system. So I cannot be on a sativa heavy product. Um, so when I think about people in terms of the delivery mechanisms, it, it it's very personal. It's a personal decision for me. Eating it is the best way to do it. Um, and I think some particular conditions require you to do it certain ways. Um, but I think that if you can smoke it, it, that is an easy way to dose it. So, so can you ta- talk about how this kind of, so this was, this was happening personally in your life, affecting your health. How did you transition from that into a career in cannabis? So I, when I was looking into it in terms of my health and my doctor was telling me that the surgery that they were um, going to do was actually going to cure me and I was going to be able to go back to work. I thought, wow. I'm a regulatory compliance attorney by trade. Yeah. This industry obviously needs lots of regulatory compliance. I'm fascinated by it. I'm just going to dive in and become part of this industry and start counseling people on how to apply in Maryland because that happened right at the same time. Like all of the universal stars or whatever seemed to line up time-wise with what was happening. My doctor told me that I should use cannabis. It passed in Maryland. People were starting to apply and asking about business structures and all kinds of things that I could counsel people on. Um, And so I set up a law firm, or no, we already had a law firm, but I set up a piece of the practice to do that, um, to do that little piece. And that's what we started to do. And then I put a team together to apply for a grow process and dispense and was lucky enough to have Forefront as my consultants on that and built a a great relationship with them doing our application process yeah i was just gonna say talk about how you how you came to forefront like you're the chief experience officer there i don't think a lot of people really understand what that role pertains to when it comes to a, a medicinal dispensary sure um so I have two roles at Forefront now. I'm actually the chief compliance officer, and I'm also <laughs> the chief experience officer for our mission brand. Um, in terms of the chief experience officer, the focus is both on the patient experience and on the experience of our employees as part of our company. So I'm very much aware and focused on building things for our culture and making sure that our mission statement and that the way that we all feel working inside of the company is, is what we want, that we want everyone inside of the company to be heard, that they have a voice, that it's okay to make mistakes. Um, not grossly negligent mistakes, but that it's okay to make mistakes and that we're going to encourage learning. Uh, it's a real focus on people. This whole company in and of itself is a focus on people. And my job as CXO is to make sure that people, wherever they touch us, 
are pleased with their experience. Well, and and talk a little bit about the mission experience itself from a patient standpoint. I have to imagine as one um, of the only dispensaries in the states that you guys are in, you're the first experience that many people are having in the medical market. Uh, can you talk about what that process has been like? What are the, the introductions? What's the educational curve um, that you guys are dealing with? Um, and how are you addressing that? So it's interesting. So from a patient standpoint, we've been finding that the patients are actually very savvy. They've done their research for the most part. They've done their research. They understand the plant. They understand endocannabinoid system. They understand terpenes and what that can do um, when combined with THC profiles and things like that for their particular condition. And they are the experts on themselves. And that's one of the things that we do recommend to all patients because your endocannabinoid system is going to interact differently than mine, for example, because of my specific conditions to the plant. So we ask all patients to become very aware and educate themselves with our help on dosing protocols and whether or not a particular strain is effective for them. And, and just like regular medicine, it's trial and error. Not every strain that cures Crohn's disease or assists with Crohn's disease is going to guaranteed work for every single person. It's different. So we take a very individualized approach to both education and to dosing. Do people come in, and just a quick reminder to disclose that Forefront is a client, and we've interviewed Chris Crane in the past here, (laughs) Um, (laughs) who's awesome. Uh, Are are people coming in kind of saying, I've never tried it before? They come armed with all this research, and they're looking for you like, so do I get a joint? Do I get a tincture? Do I get an edible? Is that what, what they're, is that how armed they come with to you? That is not English, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I know what you're saying. So it's a, it's a whole panoply of people. Um, we find that about 70% of the people know exactly what they want. They know what strain works for them or they've experienced a strain on, on the black market or something. And, and they know what they are looking for for their but, condition. But I imagine that's going to have to change. Like you guys... The, one of the mission dispensaries is located in the south side of Chicago, and Illinois recently just passed that bill that's going to allow people that uh, um, have been prescribed opioids to be able to go and get medical cannabis as an alternative. Um, mm-hmm. I imagine that's going to open up you guys to a bunch of people that don't have all that information. How are you preparing for those those yep. customers? Um, and we are very open to people that don't know how to use it. They are... Um, any customer that has never used the product before or has no understanding of the product would sit down with, have an initial patient intake, talk about their particular conditions, what their experience with cannabis is, try to ascertain what their cannabis IQ is, how well they understand the way the plant works, and really get them educated on how it can help them and then work with them through their particular conditions. So you've talked before about um, the language used around cannabis. You're very precise in your language, prefer- preferring cannabis to other other terms, pot, weed, whatever, um, which we agree with. Um, do you see that tide turning or um, do, do you think, can you see that work 
is actually working in professionalizing the industry? Or are you finding that we still have a lot of public education to do? Because I personally find that um, if I say cannabis in a state like New Jersey, um, you know, where it's not recreational, it's on the, it's, it's in the news, but it's all marijuana. And that cannabis isn't necessarily a well-known term there. Um, are you finding that in some of the states that you're working in? Yeah. So I think it depends on how the state regulators pass the law or even how the state regulators start talking about whatever law they're going to pass. So in Maryland, for example, they were always very particular that the term cannabis be used because it's a plant name. They want it to be professional. They don't, the state doesn't want it to have any kind of negative connotations. So they initially passed the law and created a medical marijuana law with a medical marijuana commission. And they actually changed the name of the commission and changed the name of the law specifically because they wanted it to go to more of this cannabis idea. Um, what we find is we have to be interchangeable in the way that we use our terminology. Cannabis and you know sometimes marijuana will flip into our vernacular because Pennsylvania, for example, it's a marijuana commission. It's not a mm. cannabis commission. And we they talk about it being medical marijuana. So we try to stick with whatever the regulatory scheme of the particular state is. Um, but we do shy away from other types of stigmatized words like weed, green crack, devil's lettuce, like the <laughs> eight million. <laughs> so... I want to I want to kind of shift the conversation a little bit because we're bringing up a lot of states that aren't regularly I think talked about when it comes to cannabis like Illinois, Maryland, and Pennsylvania, and, and Forefront operates in those areas. So can you talk about the approach of why uh, Forefront has uh, has looked at these more limited licenses states versus the the land grabs that are happening out in California and Colorado? Sure. Um... Forefront is very one very committed to the medical aspect of it, and even operating in a recreational state because we're also in Massachusetts, so a state that's going to be recreational. Our focus and the way that we look at cannabis as a plant and a treatment for people is from a wellness base. Whether you're using it as a stress reliever or whether you're using it to reduce your arthritis pain or treat some other type of inflammation in your system, we've focused on that medical route. And so that brings us primarily to the East Coast, where it's kind of the fastest growing medical market right now are all the East Coast states. So... Um we're going to, we'll get a little personal here, although we've already talked about your pancreas and I don't know how much more personal <laughs> we can get, but you're a mom, right? You mentioned your, your kiddos. Yeah. Um, how do you talk to them about what you do? I mean, I, they're teenagers now, right? Yep. They're 19. Um, I am very open with them. I have always been very open with them about anything that I did or, um, you know, even being on methadone and, and things like that from, them being an early age, we've always been very honest with them about everything that I've gone through and medical things. Um, but I do see other parents struggle 
with telling their kids that they're in the industry. They might say, oh, I, my mom makes medicine or my dad works for a company that makes medicine. And I think that's okay, especially for younger children that can't, don't really understand that's the social dynamic um, of it. And I also think that for parents, it's a very individualized choice. Mm-hmm. There, there's no right or wrong way to parent a child, um, you know, barring that you're beating them or starving them in a closet <laughs> or something. Awful. But, you know, if you, <laughs> I am not going to pass judgment on somebody who works in the cannabis industry and does not tell their children that they are in the cannabis industry or tells their children not to tell other people because there is still a stigma around this and there are still parents that I know of that have told their children about what they do, whose friends will then not let them come over and play at their house. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, definitely. I I would hate that if that was ever my situation, but so your kids are, they're 19, they're getting ready to go to college or in college. Beyond that, would you ever encourage them to look at the cannabis industry for, as a place of potential employment following uh, their studies? Family business. Yep. So my one, uh, my one daughter, Sydney, I have twins. Uh, she is the head of SSDP at the University of Maryland. No way. Oh, oh that's yeah. awesome. Make Chris happy. Yeah. Oh yeah, made Chris very happy, and she is interning with Forefront for the summer, and she's planning on going to law school after she graduates. Uh, she'll graduate. Um, God, she graduates in 2019 because she went in. She graduated from high school with an AA. So she'll graduate from college after two years. Oh, um, I know, she's a real slacker. And then she'll go to law school. And um, and my guess is she'll end up doing some type of drug policy work. My other daughter loves um, cannabis. They're both patients. Uh, you can be a patient in the state of Maryland if you're 18 without, not that I wouldn't have given parental consent anyways, but they're both medical patients. And um I don't know if she'll do drug policy. She finds it fascinating, but she is leaning towards being a teacher, which is a great job as well. Um, so uh, that's great, by the way. Both are great. And if any of them are looking to get into PR, you have a contact. Oh, um, awesome. <laughs> And we're always looking for interns. Yes, we um, need more interns. <laughs> so earlier in the conversation, we looked into the past. And now we want to talk to you about the future. If you were to look into your crystal ball, uh, what do you think the country looks like if cannabis is rescheduled? Um, I think we're in a very funky political period right now and literally anything could happen. Um, what is, what is legalization or rescheduling look like for your business? And real quick before you answer, how long until you think cannabis becomes federally legalized? We should have a section where we just take bets from all I know, guests right? and see who's right. <laughs> so, my guess in terms of when it will become legalized, I think it's it's going to happen within the next couple of years. Will it happen under the Trump administration? I don't know. It could, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I think the next administration that comes in will absolutely do it um, if it doesn't happen. Republican before. or Democrat, you think? I think it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it matters. I think whatever the next administration is, if Trump administration doesn't do it, which I still think is a potentiality, um, I think we'll get 
some type of federal legalization. I, right now, I'd be happy if they could just ease up on the banks and the tax restrictions. Mm-hmm. And from a rescheduling standpoint, I don't want them to reschedule it. I want it descheduled. Mm. So how does how does uh, descheduling federal legalization? How does that affect uh, your business mission and forefront? So if they descheduled it. If the federal government descheduled it, then we would be able to sell products across state lines, uh, depending on what type of regulatory scheme they put in. Of course, they'd put in some type of regulatory scheme, but we would be able to build a much more consistent brand, and it would be certainly much easier from a compliance standpoint, and we would have access to tax relief, um, and we would have access to banks. It would just free up a lot of the little headaches that we have. Um, and it would give, it would create the ability for the cannabis industry as a whole to actually have national standards in terms of lab testing and product and even best practices for how you sell in a store, how you manufacture or extract. Um, I think it would, it would clear up a lot of gray areas. Rescheduling would put us into a position where we would probably need to have pharmacists in every store. Now, some states require us to anyways, um, but if it becomes a drug that's for sale on the schedule, then it's, you know, FDA is going to come in and there's going to have to be pharmacy rules. And I think it will be even more complex. Oh, nobody wants that. Just, that. <laughs> that makes me tired thinking about that. Um, I'm. I mean, good, but that's exhausting to think yes. about that exhausting. and to think about how there would be pharmacists that have moral issues and, okay, yeah, I don't want to go down that path. Um, <laughs> <laughs> makes me sad. All right, Leah. So we've reached that point in in the show where it's uh, our favorite segment, Puff Puff Pass. We're going to ask you uh, rapid fire responses to give us two things that you love about the cannabis industry and one thing that you hate about it, one thing that you can just pass on it. So Go. Two things that I love about the cannabis industry, it can be the most incredibly supportive place um, to be involved. Everybody's willing to help a new person into the industry get a little bit more educated and also a new consumer. I adore that about the cannabis industry. Uh, One, the big thing I hate about the cannabis industry of late is um, there seems to be some things going on in the industry where we attack specific businesses without proof. Um, And I'm not saying that specific businesses aren't doing certain things they're being alleged of doing, but I, as an attorney, I miss the due process and I don't really like the trial by fire. And what I'm seeing happen is a lot of cannabis industry people's careers being ruined completely by social media Hmm. yeah we live in the age of twitter yeah and it's not some of the things that people say aren't necessarily true but it doesn't even matter and i think that i would like the cannabis industry as a whole to be better than that yeah i think we can but but would you would you not agree that that we're held to a higher standard I absolutely think we are held to a higher standard in the cannabis industry. <laughs> okay, so maybe that was puff Very pass Very accurate. Puff pass fast. Right. 
Well, but lots I, of buffs. I mean, this is a great place if you have skill, a transferable skill set, if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, if you want to take on something that's challenging and exciting and new, this is the perfect industry for you to be in. Love it. All right. Love it. Thank you so much, Leah. We so enjoyed our conversation with you. Um, we'll make sure that, that we have links um, in the show notes for how to follow Leah and her work at Forefront and Mission. Um, but I think this has been great. Anything else we missed, Leah, that you wanted to talk about? Nope. That's good. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's so fun. I love cool. doing these. This is like a good time out of my day. <laughs> oh, good. Well, you know what? We'll have you back once you guys, uh, once you guys have opened up some more stores, um, and you can kind of talk about what you got, what you're seeing on the ground. So we'll definitely have you back on. That sounds good. Thanks again to our guest, Leah Heiss, the CXO. That's the chief experience officer of Forefront. And chief compliance. And Chief Compliance Officer, thanks. Follow the good work that she and her team at Forefront are doing on Twitter, uh, at Forefront Ventures. Uh, and their website is ForefrontAdvisor.com. Um, and that's the number four, not the not the letters four. Really, And That's how we're talking about it? Yep, number <laughs> four. Um, and then also check out MissionCan.com. That's Mission, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-C-A-N.com. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and give us a rating and a review. If you have a comment or a question, we would love to hear from you. Check us out at KCSA underscore cannabis on both Twitter and Instagram, or drop us an email at greenrush at KCSA.com. Thanks for listening. That's one take, Shay. One take.